0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Yellow Card Podcast reporting for duty immediately on a Saturday morning, October 23rd. It's about, well, not Saturday morning anymore. Uh, We're still recuperating from a live stream that we did earlier today with the 10 a.m. slot of the Premier League. Uh, It's your host, Diego Galvez, accompanied by Chris Jones, Andrew Fasciano, and a very special guest that you guys will get to know very soon. Episode 57 starting right now, presented to you by Couch Guy Sports and sponsored by our friends over at Shot Energy. If you're watching this on YouTube, you may be seeing uh, Chris Jones currently holding up a box of the watermelon flavor, one of their flavors. Um, in addition to that, the next flavor is Green Apple, which definitely. Suggest trying out. Um, if you go to www.shockedenergy.com, make sure you use the code CGSN, as in Couch Guy Sports Network, and get 10% off of your order today. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter where you're ordering from, they ship worldwide, and we will take care of you in an effort to help you gain your focus and energy back in a healthy manner. Um, episode 57, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, got some Serious headlines happening across um, football as we speak. I, you know, we'll call it football. We'll call it soccer. It's just the beautiful game overall, as we all know it in the industry. Uh, but we want to, we want obviously talk about the Champions League, how the boys did last week, uh, and their predictions and uh, some of the some of the matches that stood out for us. Um, we'll dabble into a little local stuff, such as New England Revolution. Um and uh oh the one the one big topic throwing a, a dark cloud over my head right now. It's everything going on with Manchester United. I want to hear from everybody here. But first and foremost, allow me to introduce our guest, Diego Montalvin. You may know him on Twitter, you know him on Instagram. I'm not gonna do the full introduction for him because I don't feel like I can do justice. I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Diego, take it away, my friend.
1: How's it going? How's it going? Uh, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Uh, like you mentioned, my name is Diego Montalvan. I am I work for NBC Telemundo right now, uh, currently as a producer journalist, uh, doing a lot of freelancing as well. And and you can see a lot of the interviews I've done and and things I'm working on through Telemundo Deportes as well as on my Instagram and Twitter.
0: Fantastic, fantastic, Diego! Again, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I'm gonna let you, Diego, be the first one to pick the topic that we should start with. Let's 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 go uh, Manchester United. I'd, I'd like
1: to hear what you guys oh. think and obviously <laughs> talk about it. There's a lot to dissect there with uh, you know the manager and what's going on. So for sure,
0: sure. All right, so let's get started. So Manchester United, as of the beginning of the season, struggling to find their form and really get an identity going for themselves in this season. Ole Gunnar as you guys know, brought in uh, three major names to revamp the, uh, the roster for Manchester United, brought in Rafael Varane, Jaden Sancho, and of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, the GOAT himself, returning back to Old Trafford, uh, you know, rewriting history. But, um, you know, the excitement was there for fans and whatnot, but the results are just not translated into the same exact excitement that was had during the off season. Uh, most previously, Manchester United lost in a devastating fashion against Leicester City. Um, managed to squeak by against Atalanta recently in the, in the Champions League. Uh, if it wasn't for Ronaldo being the king of comebacks, I'm not entirely sure that Manchester United would have won that game. Uh, in fact, I, I think I may have had it as a prediction that we were going to end up tied or maybe even lose against Atalanta. Uh, Oh, I'm shocked that I picked them as a winner.
2: Ready for this? I'm Ready really for shocked. this? And this is this is why the Champions League picks are even better. You predicted not only for them to win, you predicted the score to score correct as well. Three-two win for United. Wow!
0: Wow! Spot wow. On. <laughs> <laughs> I was on my shocked energy game then, <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know, going back onto the topic, it's just been very rough uh, for the past beginning of, of this of the season. Uh, most importantly though, fans are starting to grow a little bit more aggravated than they've been in recent years, with Oligan entering his fifth season as head manager for this um for this club. No has trophies.
2: It, has, has it been five?
0: It's been five. Oh no, no trophies, no nothing. And uh, you know, the most recent experience that we could have had a trophy be lifted was the Europa um. The Europa League but falling against Villarreal that was just a slap in the face where many uh which many thought I think Diego you can attest to this as well many thought that uh, United would definitely uh roll over Villarreal just because of the potential that they had uh, but little did they know that Villarreal had a lot of fight in them so um you know I, I'm interested to hear everyone's takes um uh, you know who wants who wants to go first I mean, I'll go first. That's fine with me, I don't, Go
1: for um, it. You know, first, starting off with what you mentioned about Villarreal and, and Manchester United the Europa League, I think a lot of people thought that they were going to, like you said, go over Villarreal, Steam or Villarreal. But I think that if you've seen Villarreal, they're, they're, they're a very good side, very compact side, very organized side that know how to get the best out of their players. Um, and I think that's that's something that Manchester United, I felt, Slept on, you no know? Fans, everyone, I think, slept on. And because I, th- I honestly thought Manchester United would win too. But I didn't think it was going to be easy either. And obviously Villarreal did their thing in the final and, and, and that happened, right? Um, as far as Solskjaer, this is my take. This is my opinion. I think that he came in as a caretaker, right? I don't think, I don't, I honestly didn't think that he would last this long. I thought that he was going to be there for a transitional period to get Manchester United through through certain times. And at some point, they were going to look for a better manager. No disrespect to him. I just don't think that he he can take Manchester United to the next level, even with the players that he's had. Individually, they have great players. Nobody can, nobody can say uh, anything else bad about them. But the problem is I just don't think that he has the ideas, the clarity to to Just take it up to the next
0: level, take it up a notch. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I mean, you know, just going back into Oligan and Sarsha and the um the role that he came in, as you mentioned, you know, he comes in as a caretaker with previous uh experience having managed Cardiff City and um the Norwegian team whose name I can't think of at the, the top of my head right now. Um, however, you know, minor in in the scope of things, right? It's you're going from a good beginning in Norway to a semi-decent job in Carter City because it's, it's a very hard organization to manage, especially when you have to put in the foundation blocks to immediately something that already has foundation blocks is ready to be taken to the next level. I think that transition in itself was an extremely harsh transition to have for somebody who's just stepping into the, the scenery of managing teams of the caliber like Manchester United or even, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona and, and all these guys, because that's where, that's where United fits. Um, but then you look at, you look at his role as a caretaker, did the job just right. And even the season after that, where he was granted an opportunity to be the, uh, the manager, he did just fine. But after that, just fine, no longer is acceptable because at this Back point, it, Exactly. At this point, you know, if you are managing to survive within your first season, the next step for you as a United fan is, all right, put the cards on the table, what is the, what is the formula going forward and let's win a trophy because we deserve it, right? You went from managers like Mourinho, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, Louis Van Gaal, all these guys that have experience winning trophies and winning formulas, to now, somebody who's just giving you a mediocre performance in, in an effort to survive and stay through the scenery. So, for me personally, you know, last year when, when the all-out chance were starting to go out and whatnot, I was like, I'm not quite there yet because he has given us a better performance than we expected. I mean, Manchester United ended second last year behind a Manchester City team that just looked unstoppable by all means. Uh, that was that, that was just amazing you know and, and I thought with this year's signings this is the year where you can finally see that that drive finally go to the next level he's got enough experience he doesn't have to worry about Ed woodward being in the middle of things anymore now he can really manage right that just hasn't been the case and this staff that he has around him surrounding him is just as mediocre as as the results that are shown because there's no way that Michael Carrick is really challenging him to really step it up to the next, to the next step. There's no way that Michael Phelan is really being like, we're missing this. We're missing that. We're missing here. We're missing there. Who else is challenging him? Now the only vocal person in that locker room is really somebody with the experience of really winning such as Cristiano Ronaldo. And on top of that, you just have the wrong guy as your captain too, who just happens to be somebody that in my honest opinion I think it was a rush signing and it wasn't thoroughly thought through because Harry Maguire fits the role, but doesn't quite fit the criteria of being the United captain that he needs to be that vocal person that really has that identity in United to instantly give that spark, especially at a moments notice when you're losing or when you are winning and you need to continue driving that, that winning force. Um, that's for me, my opinion, but I'm interested to hear from uh, from the Liverpool fan and Everton fan, from, from an outsider's perspective, what, where, where are you guys at?
2: Are you, no, before your Wi-Fi cuts out, why don't you go? Okay, <laughs>
0: thanks,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a very interesting discussion from someone on the outside looking in. I think, realistically, if you think back to what Manchester United would have hoped Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to have done when they first brought him in. I think he actually did that to be fair to him. Um, You know, he was someone who knew the club. He was part of the great Alex Ferguson teams as a player. Uh, He came in and provided a little bit of stability. Um, I think he's done a good job of bringing in talented players who've raised the value of the squad overall and helped the team become more competitive in the last couple of seasons. I just think that's not the objective anymore. Is what where the problem comes in. Um, now that that groundwork is done, I think for a club the size of Man United, they really need to be kicking on and challenging for the Premier League and challenging for European cups as well. Uh, and I just personally am not convinced from what we've seen that he's the man to do that. So I guess the question for me is: Do you, if you're Man United, do you kind of? line someone up and make sure you have someone in place before moving on, or do you just kind of ride with Ole until it gets to a point where you can't take anymore and then see what happens then? But I think, I think it's interesting because in some ways he's actually massively overachieved what he was brought to the club to do. Like Diego said, I also didn't expect him to last this long when he was first hired, but he just, he kept doing just enough to, to earn the next opportunity. But I think that that sort of string of uh, doing just enough has run out a little bit now that the objectives have changed.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jones.
2: Uh, so real quick, Diego, uh, Molde was the Norwegian team you were thinking of.
0: That's right. Molde. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Um, but to go, to go back on it. I mean, United has won a premier league game since September 19th at West Ham and um, you got a one nothing loss to Villa, a one one draw to Everton at home. You lose four two to Leicester, um, at Leicester, which you said about best Diego uh, King Power Stadium is a tough place to play no matter what team you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their next two matchups in the Premier League, you have um, your host in Liverpool, which is a tough matchup, and then you go to Tottenham. So they have a tough stretch here. And then after that is the Manchester Derby at home against City. So there's that's three tough games right there. And I think we'll see what Ollie has lined up for those games. And if this team doesn't get uh, a win in any of those three games, I think Ollie out is is going to definitely be trending worldwide, especially with the fact that there's an international break and they don't play again until the tw- November twentieth after that. So for that aspect, the next three games are crucial for Manchester United in the in their Premier League race as of right now. Um, but to go back on your Harry Maguire take that you said Harry Maguire. Was a rush signing, I agree 100%. But if you have him paired up with a guy like Raphael Varane, we saw how how good he looks as a number two center back on a team rather than a number one next to Lindelof. So if you keep him on the pitch with with Varane, I think he's a solid – it's just like when he plays with England. You keep him in the middle with John Stones, he's a solid center back. Maybe not worth the price, but I think if his role diminishes a little bit, he can, he can fit the build of that team, basically. Then, so you go back on the, the three major signings, two of which I told you before, during uh, the transfer window were going to happen, which was the Jayden Sancho one, which everybody saw coming. But yeah. then I told, you, I told you for months that Rafael Varane was going to be a Manchester United yep. player. And that, that has happened. Varane has looked very good. We need to see a little bit more Sancho, but we're not going to get it if always the manager. The way that his tactics are, it just doesn't fit guys like Jesse Lingard. It doesn't fit guys like uh, Anthony Marshall. It doesn't fit guys like Jaden Sancho. Those are three key pieces, young key pieces, that if you want to be successful moving forward, you have to be able to get them within the fold. Don't get me wrong. Greenwood, Bruno, Rashford, they all can work in that system. But in order to keep it as deep as you want it to be, you need to be able to get that involved. And I think another big thing that with this team is – the fact that Donny Van Der Beek is still on this team and has struggled to get any sort of progress going here, and I think that's based off of the coaching staff, like you said. So for me, I told and I told you at the beginning of the group uh, beginning of the group stage for the Champions League, I think Manchester United is going to win the Champions League this year. They need a new manager, though. I think they're gonna we're gonna see them go in the route. I'll I'll keep saying it until it happens. We're gonna see them go last year. Chelsea <clears throat> takes their guy in. And then all of a sudden, towards the end, he just doesn't work for him. They bring in a guy like Tuchel, who fits what this team needs, and they just strive with him. Man United needs to find that guy, and they need to find him relatively soon before things go sour uh, with the fan base.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of next guy up, right, there's been rumors of, you know, linking names such as Simardin Sudan, Antonio Conte, uh, Roberto Martinez, maybe even Fonseca at, at some point, but even obscure names like Lucy and Favre as well are in the listing of potential Manchester United uh, next managers. In your opinion, who is that next guy that can really actually take United to that next level?
1: To me, I, I, I'll mention a name that honestly I don't mentioned. But because of the players that Manchester United have, I really, really enjoy, and that is uh, Ten Hag, the Ajax manager. I really, really enjoy his football, and I think with the players that Manchester United have right now, he can get the best out of them in an attacking way that you know, like, like, um, like Chris said, would would make it like Chelsea last year and mm-hmm. get them to strive in this Champions League and maybe even push for the Premier League.
0: Okay, I. I actually really like that idea of Ten Hag because this is, there's a person who has had experience coaching somebody like Donny Van de Beek who clearly needs to get back into form and who was a huge driver of their success when he was at, at, at Ajax. Um, he can definitely, he's good at making moves when it comes to loans and, and temporary uh, moves, which is something that Manchester United desperately needs to do, especially players like Anthony Marshall, Jesse Lingard, uh, potentially even Donny van de Beek, uh, Axel Tuanzebe was recently moved. So when you're thinking of, of Manchester United and their the depth of that roster, definitely some of these players need to be moved around to be allowed an opportunity to stay within shape, so that when they come back next year and transitions need to be made, they're ready to fulfill that role. So I absolutely love that Tan Hag uh, uh, take. What about uh, what about you, Andrew? What what is the name that do you think? To fit the role.
3: Out of managers who currently don't have a club, I think if I were a United fan, my first choice would be Antonio Conte, just because he's someone who's had winning experience in the Premier League before with Chelsea. Uh, he's has plenty of experience managing uh, big personalities and star players all over the place, from Juventus to Chelsea. Like I said, so he's he's been around the block a little bit. So I think he could. He could be someone who could come in mid-season and do a good job. I think Ten Hog would honestly maybe in the long term be a better option than Conte, just because, like Diego said, I think he his sort of tactics and his style of football is really, really nice to watch. Um the one problem is I'm not sure that he would want to leave Ajax in the middle of the season just because they look so good in the Champions mm-hmm. League. I think if he could re- replicate the run that Ajax had a couple years and they made it to the semifinals and leave on a note like that. I feel like that would kind of be the perfect set off in some ways. So at the end of the day, money talks and if United came in for him, who am I to say that he wouldn't go? But maybe from a from a fan perspective, I would like to see him get one last run, I guess, with Ajax before he departs. But I think either Conte, maybe more in the short short term or Ten Hag in the long run, could do a very, very good job there.
0: Okay. Uh, Jones, what's the name that you're thinking of?
2: I think so. If you're going based off of uh, no attachments, obviously a guy like Antonio Conte would be the much uh, more uh, reasonable name. But there have been names like Zendinz and Dan that have popped up. But I think we all can agree that he's kind of hoping uh, the France uh, men's national team is looking for a manager, and that would be a spot for him. But if you're looking for a couple managers that I think could – um fill in the season i've said this before to you diego Brendan rogers from leicester city might be a a solid add for them um just the way that he has brought leicester city their consistent team every year um i think that could help this squad as, as well but another name that not a lot of people are really talking about and i wouldn't hate this uh what about thomas frank from brentford
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, Thomas his contract Frank, his contract is due at the end of this uh, at the end of the season too.
2: I think I think twenty three, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh, it could be. Yeah, yeah. Um.
2: But he's we've seen how he's done with Brentford and how solid that team looks overall. And I think the way that he could line up Manchester United could be a little bit better. And we could see more of Donny Van de Beek instead of Fred. We could see, um, uh, more of the consistencies up front in that uh, attacking line for United as well. So just a couple different names um, than, like, the usual uh, Conti. Um, oh, who's the big one? What, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, Pochettino, like, guys like that. You know what yeah. I
0: mean? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Pochettino because he's been a huge rumor name in the, in the United uh, organization for a while now. I mean, even mm-hmm. going back to the Mourinho days. I wouldn't hate it However, I think his current his current strides with you know with personalities. Yeah, yeah dealing with, with personalities like Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe has really put him in a spot where it it's almost like he's really not ready to take on those personalities just yet. Yeah, he was able to develop a good personality like Harry Kane and Hugh Meng like that's great because there were case studies for him basically at Tottenham. But a already developed superstar to the caliber of Neymar, Messi and Mbappe requires more of experience and wisdom more than anything else. You can't just be that manager that wants to lay down the law every single time. And that's unfortunately what's happening for Pochettino at PSG granted still managing very well, but it's a, it's a roster that's basically set you up for success anyway. You know, it's um, like the old saying, even a monkey can do it, you know, uh, but I do, I do have a name that just recently popped in mind for me, and I wouldn't hate it. Gareth Southgate. This is a person that knows very well about the English football and what it requires. He's used to the tempo. He's used to the development. He's used to picking away at defenses and picking away at, at, at forwards. He's very good at transitioning all that game. And very good also in working different formations, which is another aspect that has really just ticked away Manchester United fans because it's 4 3 1 2 formation is just not characteristic of United at all. Um, I think Southgate, having the experience of coaching people like McGuire, Rashford, Lingard, Henderson, people who continue to have developmental seasons this is a perfect opportunity for him to transition into a team that while has the personality of Cristiano Ronaldo available for him there to give him that identity that he desperately needs to have for a Manchester United team can transition into being like, okay, who is the next person that can take on that role? And especially where you're now in a long-term contract with somebody like Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane, this is the type of guy that can work that style right there. Uh, But another name that, I personally just wouldn't be against that as well as either, is Julian Nagelsmann. I mean, yeah, he's contracted until 2026 with Bayern Munich, but Bayern Munich could also be soon on the collapse bout, considering that people like Mueller, Lewandowski, and um, um, Manuel Neuer are all getting up there in age. How do you transition to that? And if it's said for him to just Made those decisions, Nagelsmann might be looking elsewhere because he doesn't want all that pressure. And a perfect team to transition immediately into that is something like Manchester United. So that contract can eventually be terminated between 2022, 2023, and leave him the opportunity to transition immediately. But I mean, if we're talking about somebody who's completely unattached, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Conte personally, but I think he'd be coming in again in that caretaker role because his experience with Chelsea wasn't, it was okay, but it wasn't characteristic of what you expect out of a premier league manager. If I, if I may say so. So Nagelsmann and, and Southgate are my guys that I'm thinking of as, as a potential replacement for all on for sure.
2: I think my retort on Southgate is we saw in um the Euros this past season, he struggled to get Jaden Sancho involved into his formation. So, for a United fan, that might not be the best case scenario. But
0: this opinion. is, but this is a guy too that had Jack Grealish as an option, and if we're gonna, but even even if, if we got guys like
2: Osama, he played he played other guys that I think Jordan Sancho, uh, Jaden Sancho, excuse me, are, are much better than overall. Oh, for sure.
0: I mean, for sure. But you know, if you're International team and Jack Grealish continues to bring you the results. You know, how do well, he you? He wasn't even
2: playing Jack Grealish, though. He's starting Raheem Sterling and company overall.
0: Right. But so, Jack Grealish was suspected always to come in into the game and kind of resuscitate things. You know, how do you take away that role from somebody that's been given those results to somebody like Jaden Sancho to hope to fulfill the gap? Uh, I, just, just, so.
2: I just don't think Southgate would be a best case scenario for United.
0: But I mean in the same in the same topic as well though, Southgate doesn't have to worry about having somebody like Jack Grealish in United because Rashford and Sancho play two complete different positions. Yeah, but then get somebody you involved.
2: To- how do you get Anthony Marshall involved? Well, you get there there are other guys you have to think of. Edison Gavani. Like there are so many talented. I or- mean, at this you know.
0: yeah, I mean at this point right now, I mean at this point right now, you're looking at Cavani more than likely being done after this season. Um, Mm -hmm. Dan probably not extending that contract anymore. Like, yeah, one more season. But after that, I think extending the contract there is just a bit of a risky move, especially with a veteran like him. Um, You know, you're looking at probably unloading Anthony Marshall because it just hasn't been results driven, especially if you have a new coach coming in. That new coach is more than likely to make the decision happen anyways. Uh Mason Greenwood is a solid attacking option. So that's immediately coming off of the bench, or if not starting alongside of Ronaldo. And it gives you an opportunity to make a new formation. Like I said, this 4-3-1-2 formation is just not United's warfare. It's, it's just not what they're what they're used to. They're more of a 4-3-3-4-4-2 formation. Uh, 4-3-1-2 is just a patch in between of a transition but it just stuck along for way too long um but for me i got nothing else to say about united as a as a fan i i think it's time to really transition out of ollie thank thank him for doing the job that he was signed out to do you know taking care of this club and transitioning into a new era but i think it's just time to really let go and and um have somebody with a lot more experience come in and, and take over the club and, and, and do a service to the club more than anything. Ollie should go back to Maldéa for the third time. I mean, Ollie, Ollie could very well, actually, you know, thinking about Newcastle, for example, right? Ollie could very well still stay in the Premier League because Newcastle just recently just got rid of uh, of Stephen Bruce. If there's somebody that can fulfill that role for him, that could be
1: Ollie. I think I think Newcastle now with the money that they got, I think they're looking for something bigger now.
0: Oh, they're going for Cindine Sedan. That's 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 my train of thought. That's really my train of thought. But I mean, if this new uh, owner is uh looking to spend wise and, and, and safely without too much risk involved, all these probably one of the top three options at this point for him, besides obviously Fonseca, who would be a phenomenal option for him.
1: I w- I would agree with that, but I just I just I just think because of the money they're getting, I think they want they want to do like a Manchester City type thing when they first got their money too.
0: Oh yep, that's so true. I didn't even think oh. of that way either. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Um, that's why he gets paid the big bucks? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's move over to Champions League real quick. Um, Jones, just give us an update on that, and let's uh let's dive into the three big games out of that out of that uh, schedule because boy another fulfilled action driven week of Champions League I don't I don't think anyone was expecting the results that we got this week.
2: No I mean so real quick uh, just to touch upon a uh, big shout out to our, our own Andrew Fasciano 11 and five last week 20 wow. and 20 overall uh, Diego 10 and six 25 and 23 overall I went nine and seven 26 and 22 overall So in order fasciano Jones Diego. Um, for spot-ons, uh, I called Porto winning one nothing over oh God, AC Milan. Uh, Faciano had 3-2 PSG and one nothing Juventus. Diego had 3-2 United and 3-1 Salzburg. So to go over the big games, I think the first one we have to talk about, the one we were all wrong on, is Atletico Madrid and Liverpool. <laughs> for certain. Um, what, what, what a game. Yeah. We all thought it was going to be very defensive heavy, and there were four goals in the first half. It was two to two at the end of the first half, which no one expected. Um, And then Griezmann gets the red card in the second half. Salah gets the penalty in the 78th minute. Liverpool wins three, two there. What are are thoughts really quick on, on that matchup, uh, which happened at Atletico as well? I mean, I I
1: would agree with you. I was thinking, I was thinking that Atletico was going to be way more defensive. You know, they were going to, drag out the first half, right? Play to see what Liverpool could do. But Liverpool, I believe, what, Salah got the goal in the seventh, eighth minute? Like, it was it was, it was, ridiculously quick. And so I think that put him on the back burner trying to figure out now what to do with our game plan. And then came uh, Keita's goal, which was also really quick. I think it was, what, Oof. 15, 13, 14? Uh, they scored two
2: goals in the first 15 minutes.
1: Exactly. So... Once that happened, I think Atletico, um, Cholo Simeone had to restructure, replan the game right away. Um, I mean, luckily, Griezmann at Atletico is a whole different monster and he yep. did his thing. Mm-hmm. Except for that, I think it's a stupid red card on his half, on his behalf. Like, you, you're, you're an experienced player. You can't, you can't be putting your foot up like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. So, I mean, uh, great game overall, though. Very exciting as a neutral fan.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, as a liverpool fan i was on the edge of my seat the entire game <laughs> but this also is good for liverpool because griezmann would get a red card means that he can't play against them uh in november yeah.
0: yeah which by the way i i um gotta give it to you too because you call you gave that as a hot take to wrap up episode 56 calling a red card in the atletico versus uh liverpool mm-hmm. uh game so Kudos to you on that one. I I, I you, thought sh- I thought for sure there would be a red card, but I didn't think it would be a let it go. Um, yeah, same. I thought uh, it was gonna be one of us. Uh, I, well, you know, when you think when you think of these two teams clashing together, and especially in their style of play, the very first team that I could see getting, you know, hot headed, it's Liverpool, because their midfield <laughs> is driven by emotion. I mean, you look at you look at guys like Milner extremely emotional guy in the game. Henderson when he's in it, extremely emotional. And Navi Keita, don't even get me started. He can get even more emotional. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, when I, when I'm looking at that, I'm thinking the more stable guys in Atletico are people like Kieran Trippier and um and Car- and uh, Ferreira, you know. Never in my life did I expect like Diego just said for an experienced player like Antoine Griezmann to make such a ridiculous move of elevating your foot that high on a on a split ball opportunity. Like that is the last thing you do as an experienced player. So I was I was like that was the stupid single move he could have made after having you know made a, a spectacular comeback and carrying his team on his back basically because scored 20th minute scored the 34th minute giving Atletico an assurance that they were still in this game. And the 52nd, you're basically leaving the team one-handed. That's that's just crazy. Um, but I do agree, though. Chael it man, this guy is just really – every season he elevates his game to the next level. It's just unreal. Unreal how wise this man is when it comes to the game.
2: All right. Fasiano, you, you, you with us still?
0: looks like he's frozen a, a little bit. All right,
2: so we'll move on to the next game. Um,
3: <laughs> I think I'm back now, maybe.
0: There he is, yeah. There
3: he is. All right. <laughs> G- give
2: me your thoughts um, on Atletico and
3: Liverpool. Yeah, it, it was a very exciting game to watch. Uh, when it was 2-2, I think it sort of had some of the hallmarks of uh, a classic Simeone game where he, you know, frustrates the opponent and plays them tough and manages yep. to steal it. But I think – with the red card, he sort of lost that ability a little bit just because he had to switch things up uh, to account for being a man down. Um, I thought that, to be honest, I thought the penalty was a a little bit borderline. Like, I don't think it was necessarily a a nailed-on penalty decision, Um, but also I think it's fair to say that after Atletico went down to time, Liverpool were the, the team that was more in control. So, not entirely undeserved either. Um, yeah, it was a it was a very exciting game, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rematch as well because Klopp and Simeone have done a little bit of talking in the press, so there could be a storyline there next time they meet as well. Yep, yeah, November
2: fourth. That's Get been ready. fun to watch. Their banter. The uh,
3: so let, let's move on
2: to what I I would call the surprises of the week. Let's talk. Let's talk Ajax and Dortmund. Ajax wiping the doors with Dortmund. Ajax winning four, nothing in that matchup. Uh, Andrew, you're, you're a big Ajax believer. Did you expect this?
3: I didn't. I think I, I thought Ajax would win, but the way they dominated this game was incredible. Like it could have been a lot more lopsided than four, nothing. Um, yeah, I think Ajax and Dortmund coming into this, into this game had both, um, be sporting and the sheep test, uh, probably two teams that they would expect to beat given where they are in their talent pools. So this was really kind of the showdown between the top two teams in this group. And if Ajax keep playing like this, they could, they could make a serious run, I think. Um, which I I'm definitely a fan of. I, I like when teams outside of the, the big five leagues do well in the champions league. I think it adds a, a nice, unique aspect to the competition. So I, I personally hope they keep playing as well because they're, they're a scary team when they're attacking together as a unit like that.
2: Now, to go off kind of like what Di- Diego said for uh, the Liverpool game, this was another one where we thought it was going to be very much well-contained, but Dortmund giving up that own goal in the 11th minute, they had to play catch-up. And when Dortmund has to play catch-up early, usually it doesn't uh, bold well for them. And we saw a daily Blinds. Going down two nothing to half, and then they just Dortmund just couldn't find the groove in that game, and with them struggling to find the groove, we saw Ajax take full advantage of it, and that's how they get two more goals in the second half, and they win the game overall four nothing.
0: Yeah. Yep. yep. All right. So, what's the next game that you have in mind?
2: Um, I think the other one would be would have to be PSG and Leipzig. Yeah. Another thriller we talked about United and. Adelaide. Atalanta uh, jumped out to the 2-0 lead. United come all the way back. They went 3-2, thanks to Cristiano Ronaldo. But PSG gets a little help with Lionel Messi putting in two, including the game winner there. Uh, what, what were some thoughts on on the, on this matchup? Because we we expected it to be close and PSG to win a close one, but I think this was a lot closer than uh, we even thought it was going to be. I think the thing with, with PSG
1: that people – I don't know if they've looked at it this way, but I I see it as they're still, even though they're a team that has already been together, they brought in some superstars like Ronaldo, uh, Sergio Ramos, Lionel Messi, who are still uh, getting into the groove of being with this team, right? I still see at many moments that Messi is playing, let's say, in third gear, whereas PSG play faster. At least some of their midfielders, I feel like, are faster, more um, uh, transition-based, more direct. Whereas Messi, you know, he wants to control, look for the open, open, uh, open lane, and that's where I think there's, there's, there's a problem in the connection there, and I think that's what's missing or lacking in PSG right now. Once they figure that out, whether it's Pochettino or the players themselves, then they'll, I think they'll be firing on all cylinders. Obviously, they have the squad to do it, but um, um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see Messi still doing his thing and Cristiano, both of them obviously helping their teams to a comeback victory. Um it just goes to show that these two are on another level.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that. I think I just, I, oh God, go no, good. No, good, good. I think for PSG the key was again, um really just involving Messi right from the get-go. I mentioned this in, in, in the last episode. If Messi is involved right from the get-go in this game, this is a guy that can with it, with the experience that he has, be able to sniff out where he can actually be able to make the uh, uh, the impact that he is known to make within the game. And that's what exactly what we saw a minute um, in that late 60th to mid 70th point of the game, which is you know, Lionel Messi really just dissecting away at this defense and being able to score what he did, even produce a penalty. Where you know where he's taking the penalty as well, so um, I, I agree with much, what much of what Diego said. These are two guys that are still at the very top of their game, being able to be huge contributors to their teams. Um, but it's an it's an occasion where again both managers are just not realizing that along with these players, you need to string the rest of the team along to be able to analyze and recreate how these guys are being able to produce comebacks so that when they are dominating in their performance, they can really drive forward rather than just stay still hoping for somebody to make the, uh, the opportune move. I'm just,
2: I know we've seen a lot of Donnarumma in, um, in 1, but I, I want to see him play with this team uh, in the Champions League. And they've been riding killer novice right now in the Champions League. And I don't, quite understand why. I understand that they have two solid goaltenders, so like you have to try and figure out who's the better of the two, but I'm just waiting for PSG to have that one game where Nava screws them, and it just, they're like, why didn't we play Donnarumma this whole time? We got him for a free transfer in the offseason. Because Donnarumma played the City game, and they won, they beat City 2,000 handlers. Like, they, they dominated City in that game. So can why
0: just, are we not? Can I just tell you something, though? I think when it comes down to Champions League, though, and being such a high praised trophy that every club in Europe wants to go after, it's the fact that Kayla now just has a little bit of an edge on Donnarumma when it comes to the experience. Donnarumma is still so young, still developing. Like, don't get me wrong, the talent is absolutely there and if he continues at this he could very well be one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time maybe even way beyond Oliver Kahn and, and jean Luigi Buffon which were historic names at, at their times but when you have somebody that has experience and they can ooze the confidence and already has played a bunch of Champions League uh, seasons under his belt you kind of have to rely on the guy that still has it and has that experience as well it's like, for, it's like for United, which is the same exact situation. Henderson is a very good um, talent coming off of the bench to replace De Gea. However, De Gea has had so much experience being at United's, you know, head of the table, basically, that for Henderson, it's more of like watch and learn so that when you're ready to take over, you don't have any questions to take over with.
2: I think my only retort to that is like a Chelsea who won the Champions League last year, they rode Eduardo Mendy over Kepa, who has more experience in James League than Mendy did going into that. So that's that's how I look at it.
0: I mean, for Arizzi Balaga versus Mendy, I think, for me personally, I, I too would have ridden with Mendy. Mendy just immediately from the moment that he got to that camp, he just showed so much more potential than what Arizzi Balaga was showing. And Arizzi Balaga mm-hmm. was just working on arguing back management, which when you're doing that as somebody has a statue of you at a Chelsea team like that, buddy, all you're doing is just causing yourself for your value to depreciate like this. And don't think for a second that for any new coach that comes into Chelsea, that they want a replay of what Arisi Balaga did to Sari, because no other coach would deal with it the way that Sari deal with it. If anything, most coach would be like, I want you out of the club. I'm here. I want you out. You're nothing but a distraction. In my honest opinion, just just thinking it from a disciplinary standpoint, it's it's that.
1: I think that's very fair. I mean, the Navas Donaruma situation is like you mentioned. Keylor Navas has the experience in Champions League. He did he did great for Real Madrid during his time Oof. there. During, very great. I think he's I think he's very underrated, and I think Real Madrid mm-hmm. disrespected him by the way he left. Yes, 100 percent. Yep. Um, and I think that's why they're riding him still. Right. Uh, until the day, like like Chris said, if he messes up, then they're going to say, all right, you know what? We got Donnarumma on, on the bench and we can use him. But until that day happens, I think you go and you, you're, you're going to keep going with Kayla
2: Navas. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, then, so to retort to that, they they play City, who is the best team that they're playing in the group stage. And you ride Donnarumma for that game, not Navas. Why do you think that is? You know what I mean?
1: Uh, I, I would say that it, it's possibly just to get them in the rhythm of it, you know I, I, I don't know yet. I guess I haven't I haven't been able to speak with anyone from PSG yet, but hopefully I mean we'll out once it gets to the big games right once it gets because they're gonna they should get out of group stage right then mm-hmm. in in quarterfinals and whatnot we'll see exactly who who is gonna ride with.
0: Yeah I think for I think for that case scenario, Chris, thinking about it, Caleb Navas is already experienced enough dealing with those high profile games like that. That when you, as a coach, are looking to go into the new age of who's going to be in the back of your net, you need to throw them into that situation to see if they're situational ready. Because, majority of the times, when you see new talent, especially at the goalkeeping position, these are a lot of the times you see these goalkeepers crack under that pressure. Donnarumma simply oozed that confidence. And that's why. He started against City because, regardless of what the outcome would be, he needed to have that experience anyways. So it was a win-win situation for both.
2: But if we're talking about experience, don't you bring up how well he played in the year in the Euros this, this past season? As for sure, experience, especially in the final, going to the penalty shootout against England.
0: For sure, and that's why that's why because of that experience, that's why he was tested again facing off of of Manchester City so that when, if it's not Euros or if it's not World Cup, the next situation that you're dealing with is Champions League and that you're ready to be battle-tested against what could very well be the final. Because many of us have thought the final could be PSG versus Manchester City. What if he's needed at the final? Is he ready? At At a temporary game like that, where it's so early in the year, that's when you want to start throwing him so that you can see if he's actually ready or not. And clearly, he showed that he was ready.
2: Well, like, I'm not refuting uh, Diego's point on getting him in the group, but if that's the case, why is it a big game like that rather than playing him against Leipzig or playing him against Club Rouge in the group stage early on? You know what I mean? Because
0: you know what happens there? I think we can all agree here. You much rather have, and this is very crappy to sound very crappy the way that it's going to sound, but it's realistic. You much rather have Caitlin Navas go down with an injury than your young replacement. That is probably the future of your team in the back of the net. Go injured. You know, Kal- tough,
1: you know that you know that Kayler yeah.
0: Navas. It, it, it's it sucks to say it. It really is such a like it, it comes off as like a nasty thing to say, but it's realistic. You know that killer Navas is towards the end of his career. An, an injury for him, okay, it happens as part of the game. An injury. Of a big caliber to somebody like Gen Luigi can deteriorate the rest of his career. Yeah. No, listen, I'm not
2: disagreeing with the points. I just think I'm looking at it at a different perspective than uh, Diego and Diego are. Uh, speaking of, that would be a fire name of a show on Telemundo, <laughs> Diego and Diego. <laughs> just saying, I'm gonna we're gonna put that out there.
1: We're gonna have to talk to the producers see see if they can make
2: that happen. I'll get a, I'll get I'll get the trademark and everything. I just.
0: We'll talk talk off. Hey listen. I
2: don't
0: don't want Andres Cantor to come cancel me, man. I don't I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love Cantor. He's awesome. (laughs) Um, but all right, so without further ado, let's transition now onto the locality of things because the New England Revolution are man, it's just so exciting to think about it. Playoff starting very soon oh man i don't know
3: what happened here but all the cameras are frozen
0: (laughs) all right so as we were saying kind of love technological issues good thing there is like a press play and press pause button on this thing because holy crap for me as a dj right there like I just messed up the transition big time in this concert. It's so. fun. We're, we're uh, all
2: laughing at you because it looked like you were, and on our screen, it looked like you were praying to the gods about the New England Revolution win. <laughs> so it just it looked even better. It looked even better for the transition. They won't see it, unfortunately, because they'll just see our frozen faces. But I just thought it was that, that was just great. See, so it great was so funny. Right
0: so on my end, Diego froze with like a wink, like situational <laughs> face. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew's like this. <laughs> and Jones is just, like, big mouth, wide open, frozen. And I'm like, what just happened here? And that's, what, like, I'm waiting for, like, 10 seconds to roll by to see, if, like, you know, it'll revive. That's why I texted you guys. I'm like, you all froze on my end. I don't know what's happening here.
2: <laughs> we're, all, we're, all, we're all talking crap about you.
0: Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Wouldn't, wouldn't want it any other way. However, the New England Revolution, playoff bound starting November. We have a big game coming up today on Saturday at 3.30. Seattle Sounders, Kansas City Sporting. What are we thinking from a locality standpoint? And before the playoffs start, how are we feeling about this team? Forget the season. How are we feeling about this team right now? The sports in Kansas City is
2: going to win. We're going to win the shield today. And then we won't have to worry about anything until uh, the playoffs start. But... Real quick, I just think this team has just been so uh, well put together. I think we have the MVP of the league in Carly's and Carlos Gill, um, and coach of the year in Bruce Arena for sure. Because listen, not only are they playing at a high level, they are 20 points ahead of anybody else in the Houston Conference right now, which is uh, an incredible feat 21 6 and 4, four losses this year, and I think they've lost one. Since September, no, they've lost, yeah, one since the beginning of September. Now it's to uh, New York City FC.
0: Yeah.
2: So yeah. they're on an incredible run right now. Even with them not playing their best guys, they're still at least drawing or winning right now, as they've already clinched the Houston Conference. So for me, that's a, it's a good look going in. Um, they need to put it together, though, in crunch time. Like when the important games come, they need to show up. And that's exactly why they brought in the guy like Della Garza. Um, we saw how good they, they were in the playoff run last year. They need to be like that, but better this year because you want to you want to be in that MLS Cup final. You want to be able to win it, and in order to win it, you have to get there.
0: Okay, that's yeah. No, I think I would agree with that, Diego. What are your thoughts?
2: I think the the revs the revs had
1: had a uh, I want to say a, a decent core group, right? They had a decent core group when Bruce Arena came in. He came in exactly for this reason, to turn this group, this core group, add whatever players were needed and bring the best out of them, right? Mm-hmm. It's taking it's taking him some time because obviously you need to bring in the players that you need for the tactics, formations to work the way you want them to. But you can see, as as you mentioned, Carlos Gil, Gustavo Bo, you know, he let go of players like Diego Fagundes, who were hometown legends, right? Like it was nothing. He said, all right. I don't need you, right? Chris Tamanio, who was also great during his time, I don't need you, but it's worked. It's worked, you know. I, I uh, for me, I honestly thought uh, Teal Bunbury was one of the players that was gonna be like, oh, because I always didn't, I felt like I didn't see enough from him at times. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like it, he's been he's been re-energized, re, you know, used in a different way, and it's been working. Yeah, and he's gotten the whole group to believe in, in 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 what they're playing and and as as you guys just mentioned they're 20 points ahead of everybody this is unforeseen to be honest unforeseen i've been covering the revs since since i started with nbc telemundo five six years ago now Oof. and in, in 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 my time there i never would have thought that it would be at this point 20 points ahead of everybody else i never would have thought it yeah so i just want to say you know big ups to the guys there for all the work that they've been doing. Obviously, the, the community shield is, is is almost there. They just need to keep going. Whether it's whether it's Kansas City winning or them having to do the business against Orlando, great for them. And now let's just keep it going in, 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 in the in the in the postseason because as we know, the revs have made it to, to finals many times before, but they've never been able to cross that line. I think with Bruce Arena having the experience that he has and these players having the, the mix of experience and, and talent, we, we, it's just a winning combination, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I think, you know, going back to your point where Arena's coming in here and getting rid of names like, you know, Facundes, Pinilla, even Lee Guillem. Like, when you think of that midfield, Lee Gia was like, at the time, I guess, you, Carlos Gill back then. In ways with the transitional things, he kind of lost that touch. But getting rid of somebody at, that could be a creative playmaker in the midfield, like Lee Guillen, that that's some serious brass right there. Like you are, you got some bigger picture moves coming along that nobody's going to see coming. And I think the Carlos Hill move, the Gustavo Bowl move, and all that stuff has been really working out. And I think back to your point, too veterans like Andrew Farrell, Teal Bonberry, um, you know, even Brad Knighton, like they all look so rejuvenated. They they have they look like they, they have a new kind of sense and new um new objectives in mind that haven't really been inspired by any of the other coaches along the lines. Like you know you you think back five years ago, you know, thinking of somebody like Shuttle Shuttleworth, you know, in, in that amazing in that. But it just seemed like at the time he knew what his role was, but it wasn't like he was really inspired to be better than what he was. And in this year, you just see somebody like Matt Turner just continue to develop to such a high standard that it's, it's almost unforeseen. You don't really see keepers develop at the pace that he's developed in such a fast manner. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So um, I I agree with what Chris said. Shout out to to Bruce Arena, like definitely coach of the year. There was no question on that. Um, it's just more of here, just really just closing it with, uh, you know, wrapping the gift with a bow tie and, and the card. There, man, just just deliver because at this point there is no sweeter ending to this magical season than bringing home the trophy that they sold rightfully deserve at this point it's just and, and i i think along the lines too fans here in new england have kind of been in a way mesmerized by that by this m- magic that's in the air with them because five years ago you would never see half of the fans that you are seeing now at gillette city and show up i mean last time that i went to a Rams game this was against um Oh, God. One of the games against Chicago, I think. Yeah, against yes, Chicago. Oh, no, actually, it was against Montreal. Um, And my God, I was amazed with how many people are at this team. I mean, I don't recall five years ago leaving a Revs game and sitting in an hour of traffic, leaving a Revs game. This year it was just that. I was just like, wow. I, I'm like, this is awesome to see.
1: Well, let, let's also say, who else, who else are people going to root for in Boston right now?
2: This is true? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're 100% true. Ouch. See, but here's, Ouch. here's the thing. <laughs> I've been saying this since the summer because you knew the Red Sox were – they were good, but they were going to struggle. You knew the Pats were going to have some growing pain. So I agree with you 100% there. Um, I went two years ago. I went to two games. I saw them play Inter uh, – nope, Orlando City. They won, and I saw them play Sporting Kansas City. And you know, there you when we were there, we were sitting um, ten rows from the field, and then fifteen rows from um, <clears throat> from the center. And not for nothing, I mean, they the prices on that weren't weren't uh, weren't expensive at all. No. Now looking at them and looking at the pricing, now it's like this. This was the same thing I was trying to do last year, but can't do it because because of COVID. So trying to get into it now, and it's just it's a it's a hell of a hell of a sight to see
0: yeah
2: wish it was closer ross that's all
0: i mean so that comes back to the conversation right that it's been going on for years now but even more so resounding this year than anything does building a stadium somewhere closer to the city make a lot more sense now for this team the
3: question
1: is where that's that's the biggest issue where?
0: I mean, the where, the where is a great question. I think, realistically speaking, if you look at the Austin-Brighton area, where when Mayor Marty Walsh was the mayor of the city and whatnot, that was supposed to be the Olympic area for Boston when Boston had the opportunity to have the Olympics here. It's so underdeveloped, though, that I don't know if, from the transition of COVID to recent-day financials, if the financials are really there to support such investment or if they need additional sponsors to then be able to have that uh, investment be made, because I mean, craft may have a lot of money, but a stadium is a stadium and that's a, that's a lot of dough to, to, you know, to lash out.
2: I agree. Um, they, they, I think they missed, they had two good spots. They had the spot never, where they could have, they could have easily banked, and I think the spot in East Boston, right where Suffolk Downs used to be, I think would have been big time. It's a very uh, heavy Hispanic area, and I think with that, you could have drew uh, more and more over these past five years while you were getting really, really good, and we could be talking about having them sell out that that arena rather than try to have them sell out Gillette Stadium. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: There's
1: also there's also. Um... I don't know. Pawtucket is doing a lot of a lot of stuff, right? They're building mm-hmm. a, they're building a whole a whole pretty much mini mini Patriots place um for a new USL team, and they still have the the Paw Sox Stadium that no one is using now. Yep. Obviously, it'd have to get reworked, but I guess the stadium's already there. There are things that are already built around yeah. the area, so it would just be uh an influx of money to to kind of revamp it.
0: Yeah.
2: Fastiano, what do you think? We haven't heard from, from you in quite some time. You're yeah, Revs no.
3: guy. <laughs> I, I agree with a lot of what all three of you guys have said about the Revs. Um, one thing I would add is that uh, down this stretch that they've been on, I think four of their last five wins have come in one goal games, which is to me very encouraging because I think it shows that when the going gets tough, which it will in the playoffs they have the ability to find that extra gear and find a winner when they're up against it, up against a tough team. Mm-hmm. Now, it definitely helps when you have the option of giving the ball to Carlos Hill who has the technical ability to sit down an offender and score from outside the box like he did the other night against DC United, but um I, I think it's a good sign and it goes back to sort of the winning culture that all three of you touched upon with Bruce Serena um coming in, you know, he's he's done it before. He's won plenty of MLS Cups. Uh, He knows what it takes. And um, like like Diego said, we've seen him build a roster to do that over the last couple of years. So I think – I really think it's all all sort of coming together right now. And I think the fact that they've been able to keep on winning close games is a good sign headed headed into the playoffs. Um, I had another thought, but now I'm forgetting it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember. There's there's another part that I was going to talk about. I
1: well, I, I got else. a question for you guys. Yeah. Is is there any team that you guys, I guess, are a little worried of the Revs facing in the playoffs? Yeah, Ooh,
3: that's. A, I would that's say a good question. it is a good question. I would say, me personally, I'm a little bit worried about Nashville because um, they've been a a great defensive team. Um, they've They've sort of had the revs number this year. Um, I don't. I don't believe the revs have beaten them this year. Uh, they've played them twice and they lost and drew against them. So I think, at least in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, that would be the toughest uh, matchup
0: for New England. For me, the team that I'm a little bit worried about that I think could be sneaky good come playoff time is actually Colorado. For some reason, they just—they have that kind of, I guess, personality in a way, and identity to be that team that can be the dark horse come playoff time. And there's nothing more dangerous than 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 a team like that that knows that they got nothing to lose because there's no high hopes for them. But boy, if they deliver, man, that that's a lot to to gain there for your own for your own club. So that's the one team that I think I'm, I'm worried about, but overall in the Eastern conference, I agree with you, Andrew, I think definitely Nashville is one to worry about defensively because it, it's going to require a lot more out of the revolution to really take that offensive game to next gear and have creative ideas in the background to rely on as well. So.
2: I'm more so worried about Philadelphia than I am about Nashville. Philadelphia's played them tough all year. Um, the revolution have prevailed in those games. But the Union always play them tough, and um, they might have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder after the Revolution took them out uh, early on last yeah. season as well.
1: I would agree. I was I was thinking Union over here in the Eastern Conference, and then if, if I had to mention another team, I think Seattle's always one to worry about with, you know, Don Laredo and, and Luis Diaz, who for Seattle just is on fire whenever he's he's back. Okay.
0: All right. I agree. Uh,
2: yeah. Last thing I'm going to talk about on uh, the revolution front. Um, if you do not remember, we had AJ De La Garza on um, <clears throat> an episode before he even stepped foot on the pitch for the revolution. Um, and his son, obviously, if you don't know uh, his foundation, Luca heart, they have shirts with the new England colors um, online. Uh, Luca knows heart.com. go, go go check it out because it's, it's a quality fit and it helps a good cause. All Big shout out right. to AJ Delegazer again.
0: What a plug. What a plug. What a way, what a way to plug in uh, uh, such thing here. But with that said, that does it for episode 57 here, of the yellow card podcast, Diego. Thank you so much for coming on, on the show. Looking forward to having you back on whenever, whenever works out best. Uh, Andrew Chris, as always, thank you guys for hopping on. Uh, For those of you listening through Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Podcast Card. Uh, Make sure to follow the Couch Guy Sports Network at Couch Guy Sports. And a huge shout out and thank you to our sponsor, Shocked Energy. Until next week, signing off, it's Diego Galvez, Chris Jones, Andrew Fasciano, and our guest, Diego Montalvin.